You are listening to the Post-Atomic Horror Podcast with Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Episode 185, covering The Visitor and Hippocratic Oath with Mark Bosco. Friends, we're back, and speaking of friends, our friend Bob is here. That, <laughs> that, that wasn't working uh, at all. I don't know why I pretended that it was. Hello, folks. Hi, Bob. Hi, Bob. How are you? Good. How are you? Fantastic. Excellent. I'm well. We're we're in the uh, the the great seasons of of DS9. So oh my god, these right? are the salad year. The salad years are the good times, right? Uh, yeah. Cause salad I will. I mean, do you like salad? I do, but it's not. When I look back on my life, it won't be like these years. I was eating salad. Sure, were the best ones. Mm-hmm. Man, this was way better than the soup or the ribs. I kind of like the steak years. Yeah, me too. And, and yeah. it seems like the salad years would be the lean. Like, I can't afford to eat anything else other than mm-hmm. the salad. Yeah. Like, those wouldn't be good. But the well, no, years those would be the cup of good. noodle years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, the ramen years. <laughs> yeah. No, but whatever, whatever years these are, they're the good ones, is yes. what I'm saying, as far as post-atomic horror is concerned. Mm-hmm. As far as my life is concerned, I mean, li- listen, every day is great to be me. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm completely envious. Yes. You, you should be. <laughs> As are we all, I think you'll find. Men want to be me. Men want to be with me. Really, really, women have nothing to do with it. It's all just men. <laughs> women, women want to be away from me. Yeah. <laughs> women are not really aware of me. It's weird. <laughs> even even the ones we've had on the show who directly acknowledge me don't, don't yep. actually know that I'm here. Women don't believe in me. Yes. Well, I you guys mean, ever heard the legend of Al? I mean, but I don't believe in myself either because I am a comedy writer. Come on. It's true. All right, so uh, this week we have uh, two pretty goddamn amazing episodes. Yeah, we do. One particularly great one and one that's uh, well above average, I would say. Oh, yeah. And uh, it, it's weird because the, 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 the first one that uh, Bob's about to do, and uh, I challenge you to do it without uh, collapsing into a weeping heap. I do not accept that challenge. Very well. Nor do I! <laughs> I think I think we should make an agreement among among the three of us here now uh, that, mm. that none of us will uh, ridicule the others for uh, open displays of, of emotion during this uh, during this segment. I can get That's behind fine. That. Yes. Okay, good. <clears throat> <clears throat> but, uh, yeah, the, the weird thing is, though, this, this episode is, like, super highly regarded. This is one of, like, the greatest ones, and I've read about it, and I know what it is, and all that. I'd never actually seen it. What? Last really? Night, last night when I watched for the show, first time I'd seen it. Holy huh. crap, are you serious? I, that wow. I can remember. It's possible I saw and forgot, but that seems unlikely with it being such a such a quintessential episode. Yeah. Huh. So, yeah. Well, I've definitely seen it at least three times now, and I <laughs> break down crying every time. Yeah, it's 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 pretty uh, pretty deep there. So, uh, why, why don't you tell us? Why don't you tell us about it? About the visitor. Yep. All right, well, Doc Sisko takes the Defiant out to Twin Wormhole Mall parking lot to work on his flux inversion experiment, and young Jake comes along with his skateboard and video camera to watch. But lightning strikes the clock tower, and Sisko is erased from history! Jake gets into his moving forward at the standard rate of time machine and drags Sisko along with him, who occasionally pops up at opportune moments to check up on Jake's life and make us all cry again. Eventually, Jake figures out how to save his dad, builds a flux capacitor, and gets the band back together in the Defiant to go pull his dad out of subspace. But that doesn't actually work, and Jake figures out that only sacrificing himself will save his father, and it's getting really dusty in here. Shut up! Cisco gets snapped back to the past! 
dodges the lightning bolt this time and hugs his son back in good old 2372. 2372? <laughs> 23 skidoo. So, okay, I, I obviously love your uh, your Back to the Future illusions here, but I gotta, I gotta ask. Uh-huh. Getting the band back together, the, the pinheads? Uh, <laughs> no, that wouldn't be uh, the Blues Brothers. Hmm... Maybe maybe it's Marvin Barry and the Starlighters. Is it the, is that it? The Starlighters. Can't the Blues Brothers be part of this? No, the Blues Brothers do not exist in the same universe as Back to the Future. What is what is with your Back to the Future exclusionist policies? Well, for for one thing, all Saturday Night Live uh, uh, movies take place in the same universe. So. That is correct. Yeah. Then you're drawing in a whole weird thing. Yep. But then, you know, the whole uh, killing himself thing is kind of like uh, somewhere in time where Christopher Reeves just traps himself in a hotel room and stars himself to be with his past love. <laughs> I never actually saw that either, so <laughs> thanks. Apparently I missed that one, too. I, I can hardly call spoilers on you for a 30-year-old movie. That's a real favorite of my wife's, and I'm like, really? This is the most depressing movie ever. <laughs> it's I, I, I recall, like, I've met people who, who speak highly of it, and I recall mm. it being just sort of a sweet love story, if I've... Like or that's how it's sure. described to me, but mm-hmm. I don't know. If you ignore the whole starvation and death thing, sure. Well, See, they... I was confused. I always confuse it with Time After Time, where uh, yes, H.G. Wells <laughs> fights Jack the Ripper. Where Malcolm McDowell plays H.G. Wells. Yes. Right. <laughs> yes, I, I. That's that is the exact problem that I have, and I keep thinking, oh, I saw that. No. Nope. <laughs> no, you didn't. No, different movie. Uh so anyway. yeah, this one. Um, this one is, is like a beautiful. Flute, it's like a flute solo for everyone. Yep. <laughs> yep. It's it really like. Well, I mean, let's talk about this. Really, okay. We because yeah, Bob, you did the jokey summary, which is sure. totally acceptable. Yeah. But we do need to sort of get into why. Like, why are we talking about this weepy episode? What made it so? What like we basically open up on Jake at the end of his life, right. waiting to die. Yeah. Right. Uh, as played by Tony Todd in some actually really kick-ass old man makeup. Yeah, I was trying to figure out if I'd ever seen Tony Todd, like, play a guy. Like, here he's just an old man who's wasted his life and he's sad and he misses his dad. Like, I don't think I've ever seen him play something so normal before. It's nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, usually big badass kind of characters. Yeah, I mean, I mean, look at him. He's very imposing. He has an yeah. awesome voice. Like, of course you use him for that. But it's nice to see he's got the range to play something sweet like this, too. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. Now, his, his scenes with uh, with Ben at the end are just yeah. brutal. Yeah. yeah. And, and the fact that most of his time on screen is spent talking to a character who is a stranger to him. Yeah. And just, talk, like, telling a story that we don't even, like, from his perspective, we don't see, like... Right. He, he does some great acting just standing there delivering monologues, basically. Mm-hmm. The, the wannabe writer oh, who has done, never actually written anything and doesn't know what she wants to write about. <laughs> yeah, so half the people I know. Yeah, yeah I've met writers like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it, it, so, so yeah, the gist of it is that this, this accident happened with, with Ben and Jake, mm-hmm. uh, and, and Ben disappears. Everyone thinks Ben's dead, yeah. and then he keeps popping back up in Jake's life, and Jake keeps having to, like... Uh, you know, redeal with his grief. Like, okay, yeah. I guess Dad's gone. Oh right. shit, he's still alive. Just he's... as he's gotten to the acceptance stage. Yep. Yeah. Like, oh, God. I, Back again. I think that's what, that's one of the best things about this episode. Yeah. Just how awful it is. It's like, you know, losing someone you love is bad enough, but. The idea that they keep coming back for a couple of seconds just so that you can never get over it—that's horrible. Well, yeah. The the next level to losing them and dealing with it is them coming back and losing them all over again but then on top of that you realize he's still alive out there somewhere 
Yeah. I can I never get closure on this because he's not just dead again. Yeah. <laughs> now I know he's still alive and I can't do anything about it. Yeah, it's like it's almost it's even worse than like when someone disappears. Mm-hmm. And you can never move on because you don't know. You damn well know that they're out there somewhere. You can't do anything about it. And they just keep randomly showing up at your house. Yep. To remind <laughs> you that you haven't found them yet. Yep. It's like losing someone, but also the universe is being a petulant dick to you. Yep. Hey, did you lose it? You lose something? You lose something? Is, hey, is, is this what you were looking yeah, for? Is this, is this is it? Is it this? <laughs> Does it look oh, there like he goes again. <laughs> That's a damn shame. Yeah, um, but the but the bit that choked us all. Well, I don't know. Let's talk about that. What what specifically choked you guys up? Bob, you go first. Uh, I think. Well, I mean, you know, obviously it's a touching moment when they have the uh, you know, like a funeral, whatever. Um, that that was my the, first moment. Yeah. I can't think of the eulogy. name for it. Eulogy. Yeah. Kara gives this like really service. great eulogy, and yeah. there is this amazing shot of the promenade where they they must have hired like 50 extras like this station just looks so full like oh yeah everybody it's, it's turned this, out for it. this huge turnout for cisco's funeral yeah and it's just like of course the bajorans loved him everybody at starfleet loved him like he's, yep. he's just this great guy right and then and then we see him one one time real quick and we're not kind of sure what happened but then the second time he comes back that's what did it for me he was like we realize okay he's here it's like been a, almost a year since yeah so it's still young jake supposedly it's still Right. And then, but then he has to deal with this whole thing all over again. And then they, you know, they're like trying to hold on to him and not lose him back into subspace or whatever. And, and, but they do lose him. And then just Jake's, uh, Sir Glofton's acting there. Oh, is God. Really great. And it's, uh, yeah, there's it a, just, there's that a, that was heart wrenching. Yeah. That, that shot where Cisco asks him, you know, what's been happening. Like how Jake's been in the year he's been gone, and Jake just breaks down. Yeah, yeah. It's just oh god. It's and he blames himself because he's yeah. like, "Well, I should have known. I should, I should have been able I to sh- do something." Yeah, me. I should have done something. Yep. I shouldn't have been in the you know. Right. No, it's it is it is great, and the nice thing is everyone like everyone loves Ben, and yeah. you got Dax and O'Brien and Bashir in sickbay trying to fix this quickly and, and rushing about and they look heartbroken too, but then you just see Jake and yeah, it's way worse for him. Yeah. That, and that was actually my good thing about this episode is like this episode actually made me care for Jake. <laughs> much Did you not more previously? Than, I, you know, I've always had this like almost idea in my head that he's kind of a petulant teenager and in some episodes he is, but for the most part, he's not. And it's just like totally undeserved reputation, but it was just something I had in the back of my head. So I'm kind of, it was kind of tempering the good acting that I'd seen from both before, but I think this is the episode that finally broke me. And it's like, okay. I think think the assumption is he's a terrible kid character. Like, Oh God, a kid. Good. Yeah. But we've, we've been remarking as we go that this, it's really about their relationship. Like we don't get a lot of Jake by himself. It's always has Jake, how Jake relates to Ben. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's the key. If, if Jake had a solo adventure, it would probably not be very interesting. Yeah. I mean, really the only episodes where he's been like that at all have been where he's been, you know, pining after some girl or something, but it's even then it's not been that bad. No, it seems pretty natural to me. I would say. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's nice that while Tony Todd does some amazing stuff in here and does, does a lot of the emotional heavy lifting that they did give, you know, the guy who plays Jake a chance 
<laughs> to do to to, to yeah. flesh out the character too, because if this is a big defining episode for him, it would suck <laughs> that the guy who usually plays him doesn't get to do anything. Right. Sarah Lofton does not appear in this Jacob. So. <laughs> yep. Well, most of it does focus on the older version of him, played yeah. by a different guy. So, yeah, they could have easily cheated him out of that. Yeah, and I'm glad they didn't. I think Tony Todd was a great choice. Like, I, first of all, he's a great actor. Like, like hands down, he does a great job with this, but. Just physical resemblance-wise, he kind of looks like him, and just, I don't know, this is my good thing. He does this great, actually, no, it's not my good thing, never mind. (laughs) That was my original good thing, and I changed it, because Matt actually mentioned it in his, and I didn't want to step on it. So, Matt, My old good thing. Yes. (laughs) Matt, what was your good thing, since it's kind of, uh... Like like I was saying, this makes up for every episode that Sarah Lofton did not appear in. Like, he's just amazing in this scene. Not just the scene with him and, uh, with him and Ben, but the, uh... Like, th- there's this great scene with him and Kira, mm-hmm. where she's begging him to leave the station because there's nothing here from him any for him anymore. Right. And he's just grasping on to the fact that Ben might show up again. It's really just brutal, and it shows you this guy, you know, we haven't seen much of this guy, but, like, he's really got the chops to be here with everyone else. Mm-hmm. Yep. Absolutely does. Mm-hmm. I, no, I, what I was angry on is your, your last statement. Uh, oh, yeah, is... Tony Todd's fucking amazing as yeah. Jake. Like... Well, he does this great thing where he takes aspects of younger Jake. He takes yeah. Sirach Lofton's like like uh, little mannerisms and, and little idiosyncrasies, works those into the character, into this performance. And he also takes aspects of Avery Brooks. Yeah. Hmm. And it's like you can see he's kind of turning into his dad as he gets older, like people do. <laughs> and it's it's cool because like you can tell he really probably studied the show, watched these guys, yeah. and then like really was faithful to what this guy would be like as an older guy and it's yeah. it's it's fantastic. Yeah, it works really well. Yeah. So uh, it's not just we're seeing a sad old man, we're seeing this this really is a guy we already know. Yeah, exactly. Ooh. Like you can see mm-hmm. you can see the Jake in him. Yeah, Jake know? Jake doesn't just become a whole other unrelated person when he's yeah. older. He's this is a continuation of the guy we already know. And you <laughs> and you can see there's some progression of that as he gets older as yes. well because we kind of see him, you know, like in his 20s and his 40s and right. then as he's yeah. an old man. And the thing is, a lot of TV shows they'll do the thing where they'll recast if the character if they have to show the character older or younger or whatever. Right. And a lot of the time it doesn't work, but it like they. Well, I tried to imagine really the alternative. I tried to imagine them trying to make Sarah Lofton pass as an eighty-year-old man, and it just <laughs> yeah, did not no. have worked. That's no. He might have. He might have gone to about thirty, and then my suspension of disbelief would have kicked. Yeah. Yeah. Or I'm I'm old. Yeah. But where's where's Nog? Definitely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Aaron Eisenberg. They might have wanted to recast for for the older versions of him. I do love that their friendship is still a big part of Jake's life. Yeah, yeah. I love that he made a friend for life on DS Nine. That was cool, mm. and it's cool, sort of story wise to see, like overall big picture story wise, to see this Ferengi cadet hopeful has made good on what he wanted to do with his life, and now he's got a career in Starfleet, and he's a captain the last time we see him. And yeah, he's like, he, he's yeah. not just in Starfleet, he's a respected member of Starfleet, he's a captain. Right, the first Ferengi in Starfleet became a captain, that's really yeah. cool. Hmm. good for him. Now, we don't know if that happens in in the timeline that actually unfolds, because now everything hasn't happened anymore, but well, it's yeah. still nice to see. Yeah. And and I really like that, but I like that, that that's sort of the one constant in his life. Like, he's he's been in and out of touch with Dax and with O'Brien or whatever, but, but yeah. he's still good friends with them. Now those uh the scenes in uh like the scene that takes place at uh Jake's uh Jake's house with Nog and his wife. It's really nice. Yeah, it is. Like I like the uh, I like all that catching up. Yep. I could do without uh Nog sitting in a chair that's clearly trying to devour him. 
Well, as his, toe, as his toes barely scuff the floor. When you're three apples high, that's pretty much a, a constant. Like yep. you, you always look like Lily Tomlin in those old sketches where she's sitting in the giant chair. And that's the truth. Yes. Uh, oh, so we were talking about the crying thing, Matt. When when did you start losing it? The fir- I mean, the first time was that scene with uh, with uh, the sick bay scene. Yeah, the sick bay scene. That hmm. was bad. But what really got me is just the end when uh, when Jake's just dying yeah he's mm. he's suiciding yeah he's killing himself so that his dad can live that yeah like wow it's yeah. fucking like that's just that's just bad well i, I mean I, it's not at all but it just you you feel like garbage well it's it is a real punch to the gut what i love is that ben is so like so connected to his son that he knows as a starfleet guy as a guy who's around all this sciencey bullshit all the time Mm-hmm. This timeline's going to collapse. This is never going to happen. I'm going to go back, and Jake's going to be 18, and everything's fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yet, he is still utterly heartbroken by yeah. having to watch his son die right in front of him. Well, he, he got is... to, he got to see what would like, what would happen if his if he wasn't there for his son, and what would happen is really pretty bad. Yeah, his whole oh, life yeah. would just be nothing. Yeah, he spends his entire life, 50 years. He spends 50 years trying to get trying to get Ben back, and like he ha- he ends up having to kill himself to do it and it's just it's mm. so tragic but i love in that last act where he's just he's resigned you know he's already done the deed so he's just kind of waiting for his dad to show up and he mm. actually nods off and then we get to that last act and he's kind of he he wakes up and his dad is right there just staring at him it's just that, staring uh. at him like you would when you bring your newborn home and you stare at him for the first yeah. time yeah but he's like twice his age now yeah and he's still looking at him the same way like that's my boy yeah, i'm getting yeah. choked up just no, thinking about it right now yeah that's cool. I, i'm fine shut up <laughs> we made a pact it's okay um, you're crying yeah no it is it is really beautiful and yeah i like one of the writers had commented that um what they wanted to do was uh, do a story that that sort of timeless love story, yeah. only not about romantic love, about family love, about about the bond between this father and son, but still use those same basic devices that you use in a story about timeless love, where you do anything to to get them back and all that stuff. Right. And I, I like mm-hmm. I like using those elements in a in a different context. I, mm-hmm. That was really cool. I haven't seen a lot of that. I can't think of a lot of like in any fiction, not just Star Trek, stories about a parent and a child that, that just have this love that's so overwhelming. Or, or if yeah. there is, it's usually the mother and not a father. Uh-huh. Well, right. But I'm saying I can't, I can't think of a, of a specific story about like a kid who would completely throw their life away to save their parent like this. Yeah. You know. No, good point. I, I'm, I'm sure they exist. But I can't think of one. It, it, it occurs to me that it's most certainly of the, not a trope. Most of the fiction I read, the, uh, the children and parents are adversarial instead. This is true. I mean, I, most of most of what I look at is is uh, comedy, and most characters in comedy have daddy issues because most comedians have daddy issues. Yes. Uh, I see. But this, the, I've said this before. This, um, this relationship. I mean, apart from Spock and Bones, is my favorite relationship in all of Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Mm. Like just these two. I mean, and and that's. That's edging out a lot of other great relationships. That's Data yeah. and Jordy. That that's uh, you know um, Bashir and uh, O'Brien. Bashir and O'Brien, Odo and Kira. Like just a lot of really great pairings that I like. Mm. But these two are hmm. just like again, Bones and Spock are probably always going to be number one. But yeah. Yeah. but these two are pretty damn close second. Hmm. Uh, your bad thing, Bob. Uh, 
this episode dehydrated me. <laughs> <laughs> I did give you a giant <laughs> bottle of water before we started for some reason. Uh, I mean, it, yeah, I mean, obviously, since <laughs> all of this we've been saying, it's it's yeah. definitely a good story, well told, but it is such a tearjerker. It's yeah, it is. Cisco coming back over and over, and every time it just gets worse. So your bad thing's really a good thing, though, because well, that means, yeah. that means they, they did what they wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Although to hear them talk, they, they seem surprised that this one went over as well as it did. They, mm. they were like, really? The fans love this one, huh? Huh. Where we uh we just sort of banged this one out. <laughs> we're just lo- we're just looking for a filler episode. The thing is that if if you were to describe the basic plot of this to me, I would roll my eyes and say, "Oh, good, another like magic ghost episode." Did Braga write this one? Yeah, Ghost yeah. Dad. I'm pretty sure we all made the Ghost Dad joke at some point. <laughs> but like, it it does sound on paper not great. Mm-hmm. It oh like then got pulled into some other thing and and he keeps phasing through time and haven't we done this already like big we deal. absolutely have actually and he looks like a ghost like, not just phased cloaked right now there's there's elements of a lot of different stories in here but the key is they don't focus they don't focus on the techno bible at all yeah. there is literally one line where they say uh he was pulled into subspace yeah that's it and he and, and uh jake even says at one point i don't know what happened yeah and he, he went and got a PhD in, like, advanced physics, and he still doesn't know. Yeah. <laughs> but all the, they, they, the rest of it is explained to us in easy-to-digest metaphors so that we know mm-hmm. how it affects them. But it, mm-hmm. who cares how it works? The, 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 the point is he's tethered to him. He keeps disappearing. Like, the, the, the rest of the explanations are all to move the story forward and not this overwhelming desire to explain how it works. Cause yeah, oof, right. We're a science fiction audience. We get that this stuff can happen. Just move it along. Right, right. Yeah, I, lo- I love that they explained it as like I'm kind of I'm dragging him through time like an anchor. Right, but that's what I mean. It's it's presented in the form of metaphors like that, yeah. so you get the the concept without having to bring in tachyons and verterons and right, all that right. Bullshit. Which is a good thing that they brought in the wannabe writer character. Then we can, because yeah. <laughs> she's not a scientist, no. so we get it explained in in nice human terms. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the writer comes to his door. Uh, I I thought she was like a little prettier than the usual like uh, the female guest stars they get. And mm-hmm. uh, I looked her up, and apparently she is the daughter of Andrew Robinson, who plays Garrick. Yeah, she got huh. those good Garrick jeans. I guess so. That's funny. Yeah. She doesn't look Cardassian. <laughs> you, you know, he's not actually a Cardassian in real life, right? What really? Yeah, they didn't actually put makeup on him <laughs> so he could play the bad guy in Dirty Harry. He's, <laughs> he's human. No, no, she just takes more after her mother. <laughs> yeah, that's it. He's half Card. She's half Cardassian. Uh, yeah, and her, her mother's Bajoran, obviously. Yeah, mm. of course. That's, that's who Cardassians hook up with. Yeah. yeah, when you put the two of them together, it kind of uh, it, Makes it, it kind of wipes out the crinkle. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> uh, Matt, what was your bad thing? Um, so th- this was a tough one, by the way. Yeah, it was. Uh so my only real bad thing is there's a shot when uh when uh. Jake's wife shows uh, Ben Jake's books, and we get uh, we get a look at what uh, what uh, book covers look like in the future. It's like <laughs> it's like a leather bound hardcover, but with a little LCD display on it. Like, like that's terrible. Do people not draw in the future? Like, a book cover's really simple, guys. Just get a drawing and stick it on there. You don't need to put like a weird little digital drawing it's... on. It looks like it's drawn with a calculator. <laughs> it's like the Tiger LCD version of Anselm. Yes! <laughs> I don't know. They, I thought they were little holograms, and I actually thought they looked kind of cool. I'm waiting for, like, a little stick man to run by on it going, 
<laughs> I they didn't bother me at all. But, uh... Also, Bob pointed out to me that one of them looks like it's just a diagram of DS Nine. Well, I mean, he probably wrote stories about his time on DS Nine. That's probably real. Oh yeah, like, totally. He yeah, that makes sense. He did most of his writing when he was young, and if it was based on his experience, then mm-hmm. you know. This one's about how I almost had sex with a uh, with a Bajoran Dabo girl. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Here's here's a picture. You put her picture on the cover. That'll that'll move books. That brings him in. Also, uh, Jake's future wife, Bajoran. Yep. He's he's got the fever. Yep. But like they never draw attention to it. It's just like, well, yeah, no, you know what? It makes a lot of sense. He'd marry a Bajoran. Yeah, he's got a thing for him. Yeah. Mm. Um. Well, my good thing was I love Ben's attitude through through his whole ordeal. Mm. He's never panicked, and his first priority is always seeing what Jake's up to and making sure he's okay. Yeah. Like, mm. y- you would think he wants to get out of his stupid time, you know, crap, but <laughs> his very first, like, I'm here, Jake's older, Jake, what, what's what's your life like? What, everything okay? Are you, are you married? Do you have a kid yet? Like, that's his number one thing every single time, and I love that. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, oh yeah, also, I'm completely displaced in time, and this could ruin my life. But never mind that, my son. Hmm. It's, it's just so great, and it's so him. It's not like this came from out of nowhere. He's been like this the whole time. It's, just, yeah. it's a really good expression of that. Huh. I wonder how much, it's like, if it is really kind of instantaneous jumping through time for him. Well, they had that he... one scene between the two of them where they were in a place that looked similar to when he's pulled into the wormhole. Yeah. yeah. So, so I think a little time passes for him, maybe? I don't know. The idea of him hmm. just being stuck in the big white room... Yeah. For years at a time. Without the prophets talking to him, just him there by himself. Yep. <laughs> just very very terrifying to me. Well, that's yeah. that to me, that's the concept of limbo, isn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like Just nothing forever. If that's, if that's what you believe in, that's your afterlife for 6,000 years, it's, and then you get to go to heaven. Yep, you're stuck in THX 1138 forever. <laughs> yeah, I'll pass, thanks. <laughs> the, the, the original college film or the, uh, the, the, the bigger budget remake? Either one. Oh, okay. <laughs> They're the same, really. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, okay, so my bad thing, I, I've said this before, and I will almost certainly say it again, Alexander Siddig El Fadil uh, is, is really great in a certain fairly narrow range. He, he's, got, mm-hmm. he's got charm, he's got that naive enthusiasm, like he's, he's very good at the role they give him, but anytime he's got to stretch and play evil or a different guy that's possessed him or whatever, or in this case, old, <laughs> not great. Old yep. Bashir. I'm an old man. Well, it was it's the return of old white Bashir too. Yeah, that that doesn't bother me like it like it bothers you, but uh... And he does this thing where he sort of stands sort of crooked forward with his hands behind his back and his lips pursed. Yeah, that's that's not great. This is my old man duck impression. Bob's, Bob's doing it in front of me and it's hilarious, but uh, you know, this is Here, the take a picture and we'll yeah, use that sorry. for the cover. <laughs> it will last longer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there, there is a succession of scenes while younger Jake is still on DS9 where everyone's just sort of pulling together and like realizing we all miss Ben but yeah. Yeah. we also love Jake and he must really be going through some stuff mm. there's that scene where you were talking about with Kira which was pretty great but then also there's a scene with Quark Oh, yeah, that was good, too. Where Nog's like, come on, let's go to the Hollow Suites. And Quark's like, you got work to do. And then he stops. And he's like, you know what? You don't have work to do. Go on. Yeah. And yeah. he's like, oh, Thanks, Quark. And, Quark and if never there, does that. <laughs> no. if, if there was a, a visual quote, I would like to pull the, like, where uh, they're in Quark's bar and Morn gets up and just 
pats Jake on the yeah. shoulder. Yeah, that was really that was really nice too. Good yeah. good use of the very limited expression that they have of mourn. Yes. Yeah, still managed to show. Uh... <laughs> no, just the the overwhelming like, and you see Dax, and he talks about this too. Tony Todd, like in the framing device, talks about Dax consoling him a lot, and you mm-hmm. see you also see it happening. It's not just a tell don't show thing, but yeah. of course she would. Of course, Ben's like. She's Ben's oldest friend, closest friend. Mm. She's been close to the family. Of course, she'd be right there for him. That's yeah. that's that's a nice thing too. Yeah, I find that interesting though that it's you know his mother is dead, mm-hmm. and then his father's gone, and there isn't like some social services from Starfleet that comes to pick him up. They're well, he's just kind of like. Oh, he is 18 now. Yeah, oh, they specifically right, say he's 18 yeah. in the episode. Oh, okay. They probably did that just exactly so we wouldn't worry about that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, they probably send him but, back to live with his grandfather on, on Earth if that was Yeah, I suppose so. But yeah, no, it's great how everybody kind of comes together to care yeah, for because, him. And it's a good way to show where we are in the progression of the series. Everyone loves Cisco. Yeah. Like, he's he's really well-liked. and Well, I mean, look at that turnout, yeah. at that funeral turnout. That, again, while all the stuff with Jake and Ben got to me just like it got to you guys the the initial outpouring of love and affection for for ben mm-hmm. is what got me first it was like oh everybody yeah. loves that guy well i he's always felt like a very personable character you know yeah mm. where it's like like if picard had this job his his officers would be out there and there'd be some guys but it wouldn't, yeah. it wouldn't be the same it's no like People would respect the hell out of him. Uh, well, it also it, it doesn't hurt that uh, you know he was also a religious figure to an entire planet. Well, right. Yeah, that's also true. But I feel like all the all the promenade like business owners were probably out there. Oh yeah, I mean it's they, it definitely wasn't all Bajoran people. Yeah, right. I mean he's a very different leader. He has much more human touch to everything that he does, mm-hmm. and it's right. not just all business and rank and right. And it's again, I, I don't mean to directly compare him to Picard. Mm-hmm. But it's just that's the most recent example. But mm-hmm. yeah. But and and whereas Kirk didn't give a fuck about any of his guys except Spock and Bones. Yeah. <laughs> right. Everybody in red shirts right? now. Yeah. Cisco, I, I, they they always talked about how Picard's guys felt like a family, and they did in the strictest sense of, Dad. I want my I want my father's approval, and I have to spend time <laughs> with these guys, so I might as well like them. A yeah. Somewhat dysfunctional family. Not even that dysfunctional, but still. We're together because we have to be, so let's make the best of it. Yeah. Whereas here, they don't feel like family, they feel like friends. Yeah, no, yeah. that, actually, that definition seems very family to me. We're stuck together, we might as well make the best of it. Right. <laughs> Whereas, you know, in my case, is we're stuck together. No, we're not. <laughs> so long. <laughs> Smoke bomb. Yep. <laughs> uh, we need to, we need to start pushing forward. Any, any final thoughts? Either um, of you? I have the quote. Uh, well, let's do that. What do you, what do you got? Uh, I, I was really amused by the point where uh, uh, Nog comes back and they have a little discussion. What are we having? Black and red fish, fresh from the bayou. Fish? When these ones are crawling with perfectly good slugs? I suppose you're going to ask me to chew your food for you. <laughs> I have to admit, I've been more popular with women since I stopped asking them to do that. Yeah, that was that was fun. <laughs> nice, nice to see, because really, from our perspective, it was only maybe ten episodes ago where he's still treating women horribly. Yep. And so it's nice to see that he does grow up. The thing is, I do, I did like the progression of Nog again. I liked seeing him come along and, and grow as a character, but I just don't think uh, Aaron Eisenberg really sold. He still seemed about 14 to me, eh. even as a captain. And it's not just his height. It's just his, <laughs> his voice, his delivery, his, his bearing just didn't seem older. 
Yeah, I suppose so. It didn't bother me that much. It wasn't. Well, it didn't uh, bother me like Bashir bothered me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I just I didn't think he did a he did as good a job as like like he and Jake are the same age. It's weird that they didn't recast him as well. Mm. I think it would have felt like overkill to recast him. Like we wouldn't have been able to spend enough time with him to feel like he really was Nog. I guess that's true, and I guess I figured, he wouldn't have the immediate connection either. Yeah. yeah, I figured they thought that they could, you know, they could cover just go with the old age makeup since he always, you know, he already wears yeah that's makeup, true. you know, yeah. extensive makeup. We'll just wrinkle him up a little; it'll look fine. The problem there is that they don't have him. He's not acting like he's older. Not really. No, he's, he's still sort of running around and like he's, he acts like he's like you know. A, yeah, it's the like it's the other end. Old. It's the other end of the spectrum that Bashir had. Bashir yeah. was mm. a- acting <laughs> old. Yeah. And uh, Nog was, was not. Mm. Um, the, the one final thing, and we'll talk about this a little more in, in our spoiler section at the end, but the one final thing I thought was interesting was this whole alternate history that unfolded. Mm. And we did this in Next Gen uh, through a few different devices too, where we saw possible futures that ended up not happening. Mm-hmm. And it was cool to see how the Klingon situation played out, how the Dominion never really ended up being a thing, how, like, that, that was all very interesting to me. <laughs> yeah, I, thought, I actually thought that was the, the fact that, you know, nothing really sort of happened with the Dominion after Cisco died. Well, after Cisco Or not died, died, but disappeared. Right, well, they just presumed dead for a while, yeah. there, anyway. They, uh, well, the thing is, without Starfleet there, and Starfleet's policy of just, you know, antagonizing the Dominion, <laughs> that might have made the difference. It's not It's not Cisco specifically, it's the Starfleet presence. Yeah. That's hmm. that's how I interpret it. Just the idea of them losing the... Uh, well, and I guess uh, Kira takes over just running the station, too, so... Right. Until the Klingons show up. Yeah. Which was also a cool development, because we're starting to see this Klingon plot unfolding in, in back in our time. Right. And it's cool to see how that might have happened in a different way. Mm-hmm. Right. So I'm just seeing this for the first time, so I'm not... Yeah, and that's why I'm like, <laughs> exactly I have a couple sure. of things I want to share... <laughs> Like, there were some things in there that sort of echo what happens later, and there's some things in there that really don't. <laughs> and and we'll save that for the spoiler part. Bob actually is watching more or less in real time now, so yep. he is uh, unfamiliar with some of the later stuff, so he'll he'll be leaving the room during the spoiler parts. Yep. <laughs> I'll be sticking my fingers in my ears and going, la, 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 la. <laughs> well, do that in a different room, because the mics will pick it up. Oh, yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> Just uh, hum the DS9 opening credits theme. By that time, we should have discussed uh, basically everything. Yeah. In fact, the podcast might be over. Yeah, we might, we might have moved on at that point. So any, any anything else from either of you? Nope. For this one? Nope. All right, pushing forward to the episode what's called Hippocratic Oath, which almost is a title that might help me remember what happened in this when I look back. <laughs> no, I mean, I assumed it was a Bashir episode, but I could, other than that, I couldn't tell you what the hell it was about. I assumed it would be an episode where Bashir was forced to, to help someone he might not normally help because of the <laughs> Hippocratic Oath. So that, that gives me a clue, at least. The hey, good news. <laughs> the Hippocratic Oath of the Beholder. Yes. <laughs> Whereas The Visitor, if I didn't know that because it's a well-loved episode, I would not know which one that was. Nope. That's the one where uh, uh, Kira has the space baby, right? Yeah. No, not Nana Visitor. <laughs> who plays Kira. That's a different thing. Oh. Okay, so Hippocratic Oath was mine, and I will tell you about it now. Bashir and O'Brien are cruising around in the Gamma Quadrant when the runabout is forced into a crash landing and they're captured by Jem Hadar. Huh. If only there'd been some way to avoid this. <laughs> the Jemadar leader, Goranagar, not to be confused with my lizard man cosplay name, Gorn Algar, 
discovers that Bashir is a doctor and enlists his help in curing the Jem'Hadar of their addiction to Ketracel White. This is the special enzyme that Julian discovered last season in that dumpster baby that he helped rate Odo raise. <laughs> you remember the episode where he helped Odo raise a dumpster baby, right? <laughs> Apparently, the founders specifically engineered the Jem'Hadar to be dependent on the stuff, ensuring their loyalty to the Dominion. Which, incidentally, is also why the CIA invented crack. Because if there's one quality shared by all drug addicts, it's unwavering devotion. <laughs> These particular Jem'Hadar are tired of being the founder's smack-addled lapdogs and want to break away and be individuals who still take orders. I mean, they can't stop being soldiers. Just because you don't have a cause to fight for doesn't mean you can't stop fighting. <laughs> anyway, Gorf Aglet somehow already developed a natural immunity to Ketracel White, and he's convinced that Bashir can help break the rest of them of the habit. Meanwhile, back on DS9, Worf is having a really hard time forgetting that he's not a security officer anymore and tries to arrest Quark. Odo is completely fine with this. And if you believe that, this must be your first episode of DS9 and also of our show, so welcome! Back on the Jem'Hadar planet, O'Brien is having none of Julian's compassion bullshit and repeatedly defies Julian and engineers an escape. You get it? Because he's an engineer. I, I didn't actually mean to make a pun there, but I already typed engineer, so I figured I'd better just jump on that before somebody else does. <laughs> so O'Brien and Bashir escape, leaving the Jem'Hadar to their eventual doom. The resulting strain on their friendship... Maybe they won't play darts together for a couple of days. And in the B story, Worf learns an important lesson. Crime goes unpunished if the criminal in question is best friends with the security chief. I think that's an important thing for all of us to learn, frankly. Best friends. Yep. That doesn't actually specifically come up, but you know that's why he's not, like, prosecuting Quark for half well, the shit he does. I always assumed Quark was way more useful to him as, a, uh, as an informant that he could push around. That's the yeah. story he gives, but it's because yeah. they're best friends. Yeah. I don't know what I'd do without you. Let's go play darts. I can't quit you, Quark. <laughs> Is that some kind of a reference, or <laughs> this one? This one was good. Like I, this is uh, we haven't had a lot of good Julian episodes, so it's no. nice to nice mm -hmm. to get one. And um, the thing is, like I watched this episode, and I feel like he kind of has a point. Well, this is my good thing. I like episodes. Where you have like this ethical dilemma where, you know, you have to make a hard choice and you can kind of both see both sides of it. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that's what this show does really well, where uh, Next Gen and the original series would often give characters a hard choice, but it was pretty clear what the right choice was. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And here it wasn't entirely so clear. I mean, yeah, we're meant to take Julian's side, but yeah. you can also see where O'Brien's coming from. Oh, absolutely. But like, you know. Like, I'm watching this and I'm like, no, if he can cure them of this addiction, like, that's a huge, that, that would be a huge uh, thing for the, for Starfleet. Well, if mm -hmm. that's, if that's the, the, the collar, the stranglehold that the, that the founders have on them mm. and they mm. cut that, then it's like, well, shit. Yeah. <laughs> now what? That was and actually I mean, like, my good thing was like that they were exploring and then it was like, oh, maybe we could turn this against them. And, yeah. <laughs> you know. yeah. And, and not in the way, like, uh, in Iborg. Where they had something that would Sleep. change Hugh. No, no, no. That was best of both worlds. Oh, right. <laughs> Iborg was where Hugh was an individual, and they thought sending him back would change them all into individuals, and that was a good thing. And then yes. it ended up being bad. Like right. this would actually like not kill them. Mm. But it wouldn't but necessarily make them individuals. It would just no. But it's the same would, idea where you send still this fighting force. Right. But right. You... But that's that's not so terrible either. I mean, like if you if you break the Jem'Hadar away from the Dominion, then suddenly they don't have a much smarter uh, race of people telling them what to do. Right. If if their army effectively becomes volunteers, yeah. then of course some of them are going to stick around, but now you've basically mm -hmm. given them a choice, because 
The only reason I'm sticking around is because you give me the substance that you made me addicted to. Yeah. Right. It's like the lysine in Jurassic Park that the dinosaurs had to have or they were die off, supposedly. Yes. I know my blank look isn't coming through. <laughs> but, uh... That's okay, Bob. I got what you were talking about. And I also love Jurassic Park. So does, like, everyone listening agrees with you guys. I am definitely in the minority here, but uh, not not really a fan. I tell you, man, robots, not monsters. Mm. Anyway. But robots dinosaurs are nature's monster. Yeah, I, no, I don't like nature and I don't like monsters. So Pac- why would I like nature's monsters? Pacific Rim, dinosaurs and monsters. That's why I like it, because the robots... Robots and monsters. Because <laughs> the robots kicked the asses of the monsters. Or team Robot won. Bob, I like, I, like. Your, I, I like your idea for Pacific Rim just having additional monsters. <laughs> they could just like tie in the new Jurassic Park, like Jurassic mm-hmm. World with... Uh, Pacific Rim 2. Oh, yeah. Have robots fighting dinosaurs. Jurassic Rim. Yeah. <laughs> or Rim World. <laughs> that maybe sounds good, could, too. Maybe they could grow monsters that they just have a little cockpit inside their skull. <laughs> Wait, so wasn't be Rim... really monsters fighting monsters. Right. Wait, isn't Rim World a Larry Niven novel? Yes. I was thinking of Rimmer World, which was an episode of Red Dwarf. Uh, but yeah, this episode. No, the the implications for the for the Jem'Hadar were pretty cool. Like, there's a there's a there's a chance this could change their whole thing. And like, yeah, mm-hmm. all all this small group really wanted was to break away. It wasn't mm-hmm. really presented that way. But yeah, it, it could have been, you know, could have been a whole other thing. Yeah, was cool. Yep. Uh, Matt, what was your good thing? Uh, I just like how this one fleshes out the Jem'Hadar. Like, we've seen a little of them, but mostly as villains in service to the Founders. Like, even the little one that Odo found just eventually wanted to go home and fight and kill people. Well, that was Mm. the first time we got a little bit of a look at them, but yeah, now we're definitely sort of pulling the curtain back a little further. Like, now we see uh, Garanagar and his team of guys trying to kick uh, Ketrasil White, and, like, what they're actually like. They're, They're a lot like Klingons, um... They sort of, they have, like, their own loyalty. Um, they're very into, uh, you know, sort of the the, the the group over the individual. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's one guy who's willing to kill himself so the rest of the, the group can have more of his uh, Ketracel White. Like, I, I always like seeing, you know, that they're not just, they're not just bad guys. They're not just, like, stupid, faceless soldiers. Like, there's a, there's a culture there. Well, and that's a bit of like we we have not always completely agreed with Gene's vision of this or that, but that's no. that's a that's a cornerstone of Star Trek that we've always liked. Mm-hmm. Is there isn't necessarily a black and white. There isn't necessarily a good and evil. There's a lot of gray, and maybe that guy that you're fighting is actually got a a, a decent perspective, and he's actually a relatable guy too. Yeah, if you just got to know him a little. Like the, like the, these these guys, you know, they may be like the scary um, the scary arm of the Dominion, but like. They're also people of a sort. Well, and it would be super easy, like, oh, they're genetically engineered clones. They're all exactly the same, and they're undyingly... Like, it would be super easy to write them that way. Yeah. And it's it nice that st- they it chose... Star Wars. No, it wouldn't. Like, actually, the Clone Wars cartoon made a point of doing exactly this. Really? Hmm. Of making a lot of the clone troopers, in you know, distinct individuals and not be exactly the same. Huh. Huh. Yeah, that was one of the cool things about that show. I really need to watch that show. It's 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 up and down. Like it's got some good stuff. It's got some kind of tedious stuff. But uh, overall, it, it is much better received than the than the prequels. Mm. But uh, but it, but what I'm saying is they did that same thing. They did that. We could take the easy way out and make all the clones the same and just ignore them, or mm-hmm. we could make them distinct individuals and give them a story, and then suddenly that puts a whole different spin on what you're looking at. Mm. And and that's what I like about like you say with the Jem'Hadar, where yeah. They're they're kind of like the Klingons, where some of them are more aggressive, some of them are, you know, like they're they're individuals. Yeah, and it goes further from 
the lazy Star Trek writing way of defining a race as being they're all this way. Mm-hmm. Like all yeah. Ferengi are greedy. Yeah. Mm, Rom's really not. Nog's really not. Like, not all not all Jem Hadar. Yes, not all <laughs> hashtag not all Jem Hadar. <laughs> no, a hashtag won't take that apostrophe, it wouldn't work. <laughs> no, it, it would be just hashtag not all gem. <laughs> or as Bob keeps calling them. <laughs> the Gemograms? Yes. <laughs> you had to explain that to me the first time. Gem and the holograms. I, I don't know why. That's not like, like Gem is usually a go to reference for me. But yep. I guess I've heard Gem Hadar together for so long that it just. I got it, Bob. We're on the same page today. Oh, yeah. yeah. Dinosaurs and Gem is on your page. You've got a sticker album and you're seven. That's a pretty yep. sweet page, it's man. It's all on my Trapper Keeper. In yeah. your Trapper Keeper. My Lisa Frank Trapper Trapper Keeper. No, you lost me there. What is what is? Uh, what that is might be Lisa a little. Uh, that might be a little after you. Kids of the nineties. <laughs> but your but your younger brothers are gonna love it. <laughs> hey, I I I know the nineties. I listen to mouth sounds. <laughs> I now know what the Full House sound, uh, theme sounds like. That's not it. Oh, that's something else. <laughs> anyway, uh, my good thing is, yes. uh, well, like I said, it's a great ethical dilemma. You can see both both sides to it. Actually, I did this already. Never mind. <laughs> now, overall, I do like, this is a story, like, not specifically this story, but this is a vibe we needed to explore. The idea that Julian is young and naive. O'Brien is an experienced soldier, but Julian outranks O'Brien because he's an officer and mm-hmm. O'Brien's enlisted. Like, yep. That's a great dynamic. O'Brien, oh, yeah. O'Brien has to take orders from this kid who's very smart about the thing he does, but doesn't know anything about the military. Yeah. Yeah. But he also has his own axe to grind, I think. He's, um, well, that, that was my bad thing, I think. It was, was partly that it seemed a little one-sided, the, the kind of racism that he had they had put him in. But, yeah. I, you know, I don't know. Just, I, I wrote that last night after I dozed off in the last 10 minutes <laughs> but uh like in the watching... part where he justified his actions like nah, that yeah. wasn't important yeah watching it again this morning i like well okay maybe he has a point but it still feels it feels a little weird that it's like this character that we really like and he's like the nicest guy has this streak where he's racist about this you know, is these not other... new no, no we've no, seen we've right. seen that streak in o'brien before like yeah. this yeah. is how he deals with cardassians right exactly but yeah. he has a personal thing with cardassians where he's fought them the yeah Jem'Hadar... but he's fought jem hadar before too he yeah, has a problem they... with people he's been to war with but he hasn't fought a prolonged war with them he's had one or two battles at most no he's waiting for the prolonged war to start right but he's fought klingons before too and he doesn't hate klingons that's true right. But it's, but it seems like you know he's just kind of like lumping them all in the same bucket. Even though we're seeing that they are individuals in this episode, he's like doesn't want to hear any of it. It's like okay, they're all bad. We should get rid of. You know, I I like that about O'Brien though. It feels right. Like and and you are yeah. absolutely right. It, it it occurred to me that when all of Trek is over, when we've watched every series, every movie, and and you were to ask us who is the most likable character out of everyone, like who's mm-hmm. just the most affable guy, we're gonna say O'Brien. Yep. Yeah. O'Brien, the disobedient racist. <laughs> Maybe he just hates gray people. <laughs> that might be it. Yeah. Good thing we never met those like flying saucer gray aliens. Yeah. yeah. So I guess it's still my bad thing, but for a different reason. No, just because I'm I'm sad that O'Brien is a racist. Yeah. It's like when your grandma says something racist, and you're like, oh, grandma, oh. come on, don't, don't say that. What? Oh. Yeah, no, I, but, but I do like that about him, though. He's He's just sort of... 
he's a bit conservative. He's a bit like sort of inflexible and mm-hmm. sort of tied to very traditional ways of thinking. And mm-hmm. I like that we have a guy like that. And I like that he's largely likable otherwise. Like, yeah. Right. Like trying to I, see that kind of conservative viewpoint. Yeah, right usually now. Star Trek just automatically takes the side of, well, this is a future socialist utopia and everyone Every, here is... Yes, everyone's you know, progressive. Everything's yeah. perfect. Yeah, no, some guys are still... Like, there's a there's a great little laugh scene at the beginning mm-hmm. before they crash where they just have a good character moment where it's like, you know, I, I, I wish Keiko was more like a... What? What were you going to say? Like, like a man. I get so, it. So you want to be married to a man. And Bashir seems totally cool with that idea. Like, oh, yep. hmm, man, huh? All right. All right. All right. And B- O'Brien's like, no, no, that's not what I meant. No. <laughs> and you can tell, like, if they were, you know, I'm pretty sure that's what the actors gave it. I don't know if the writers yeah. put that in there. But you could tell if they were more receptive to writing that kind of thing, that that's mm-hmm. where those two characters would fall. Bashir's yeah. fine, totally open. He might even, who knows, probably makes out with Garrick. Yeah, <laughs> and and O'Brien is like traditional. Like I don't know if they still have Irish Catholics in the future, but if they do, he's probably one. Yeah, like he's a bit more conservative and mm, has that guilt hanging over him yes. all the time. And while I wouldn't agree with him, and while I would maybe you know find find that attitude a little outdated in the 21st century, yeah. I would still respect. I, I still like that O'Brien is you know fact- we have we have a guy that thinks that way. Yeah, right? because he's not perfect. Right. Not only that, it's not even about showing imperfections. It's about showing a, a broad spectrum of yeah, no, that's thinking. exactly. Yeah. And what it, was your what was your line, Al? That didn't make it into your. Uh... Oh right, my I assumed that uh, the the you know um it just no I I'm not I'm not getting no 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 homo Brian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I just I realized that didn't really have like recapping what happened i wanted to jump to the action and not mm. dwell on the part where he talks about wanting his wife to be a man <laughs> while funny not really relevant to the plot <laughs> he um he he talks about keiko literally not being there 90 percent of the time because she's off doing her thing on bejor mm-hmm. yeah and so he's built a recording studio in their bedroom yes because <laughs> <laughs> he records his podcast with, with julian <laughs> Presumably where they go over each episode of the post-atomic horror and comedy. Oh, definitely. <laughs> Just to make this a whole weird snake eating its tail thing. <laughs> no, I, but like, so he makes things the way he wants them because he lives in the quarters most of the time. And then she comes home and bitches at him. Mm-hmm. Like, he's wow. there lives there. Shut up. <laughs> ah, just even when she's not there. Just, ah. Bad <laughs> <laughs> ah. dog. Uh, Matt, what was your bad thing? Uh, again, I had to, I could, I had a tough time picking one. Um, there's a shot where, uh, Worf goes to spy on Quark, and Quark's kind of lounging on a couple of bar chairs, and good lord, that could not look less comfortable and <laughs> less, uh, and more awkward. Wow. It's like he sort of has to balance himself on these two, and I mean, you, you, you've seen the, how the bar stools at Quark's look. Mm-hmm. It's sort of, it's like, it's a bar stool with sort of a little bit of a, of a, of a, uh, a back. back, of a chair back. There's no way he could lounge on that for more than a second without them both tipping uh, over see, and spilling I, him onto the floor. I have to take issue with that because yeah. my parents owned a bar when I was a kid and I would be there sometimes late nights waiting for them to finish doing the books or whatever and there's nowhere comfortable to just lie down and I would do exactly that. <laughs> really? I would stretch yep. two very uncomfortable bar chairs slash bar stools together and try to lay down because when you're a teenager all you want to do is lie down. 
<laughs> and if the base is bolted to the floor, then they won't fall over. Right. So it's yeah, it's perfectly fine. No, I've, yeah. d- I've done that. It's uncomfortable, <laughs> but I've done it. Should have found himself a booth. In the booth. Should have sat down booth. in the booth. Uh, my bad thing. Well, this has been my bad thing many times before. Stay out of the fucking gamma quadrant. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Of course, you you crashed and got ca- caught by Jem Hadar. You're where you're in their yard again. But there's a bear there. We have to poke it. <laughs> I'm still like I'm I'm not. I'm I'm not trying to start an argument with a listener. But the guy who wrote in and said that the the Dominion have no claim over space. Yeah, they do. <laughs> <laughs> this is yeah. our space. Get they out! Do. Didn't yeah. you see the big sign by the wormhole? says beware of dogs this is us this is our yard <laughs> beware of the <laughs> beware of the, the gem hagram the gem hagram <laughs> so let, let's talk about the subplot a bit the the oh, like the the wharf odo yeah thing. Mm-hmm. this is a story that absolutely had to happen they oh had, absolutely they had to address it first of all as the audience as far as we know Worf's a cop he's a he's a security guy that's what he mm-hmm. does yeah and we need to know this isn't what he does anymore in fact there's a scene where cisco explicitly says what his job is now you're not the security officer anymore. I'm not. Yeah. Oh. I, I know. I'm doing this in my spare time. Is that where You're I got welcome, a shirt on now? Is this a different job? Oh. <laughs> All right. What? But beyond that, it's it's nice to see this character that we've gotten to know in the in the in the ensuing four years mm-hmm. with a very different approach to to law enforcement and and keeping things clean mm-hmm. in you know like. It's nice to see them come to to at odds. Yeah, I like that a lot. Like, it's not an opportunity we get off of. We usually, when we have a crossover episode between series, we're focused on other stuff. Mm-hmm. And it it reminded me of like when Jordy and Scotty met, and you see two guys you've seen okay. do the same job coming at odds, doing it very differently. Right. And, and and it's the same thing. It's yeah. We got the security guy from that show and the security guy from this show, and like they're different. It's cool. Listen, yeah. I pad my estimates by a factor of three. <laughs> <laughs> How long would it really take? <laughs> it would take the time I said. <laughs> yeah, but how long would it really take? I'm going to think you're a miracle worker if you don't lie to him. And it's it's great seeing Worf just be so Worf, so yeah. stiff and unmoving and just, yeah. he's doing a crime. Put him in jail. You have not done the correct job. That's that was kind of weird to me. I thought at first because it felt like in the later episodes of TNG that he had loosened up a little bit, and here he's like yes. super tight ass again. No, I I I think it's because he's loosened up around people he's gotten to Certain know as people. friends, and yeah. now he doesn't. He These feels nervous people. again. Yeah, he doesn't know yeah. anyone. I don't think he. I I don't think he trusts Soto. Well, there's that. Oh, I yeah. don't think I don't think he specifically has that bias against him that a lot of people do oh he's a founder he's probably with the founders see i think that's really important for this show in bringing in a new character is that we all know that odo's trustworthy because he's been here for four years i think it's important to show Worf not be not trusting him because he's the you know there's the face of the bad guy he's there every week now i did mm-hmm. not take it that way i took it as i don't trust quark why aren't you doing anything about quark yeah and odo's just sort of the guy who's in charge, but it's not really about him being a founder to me. Oh, see, I thought that was a big part of it. It might be. Mm. I, I think it was, yeah, I mean, it's pretty much spelled out in that, that you know, the that scene in the middle where he's like, you're not doing, you don't seem to be doing anything about it. You're not doing your job. Yeah. Yeah, but he's and... talking to him about his job, not about him as a person. Right, exactly. But there could be that subtext there. It's not, it's not, 
definitely like re- out of the realm of possibility that right. there's the general mistrust of well, wait a minute, why do why is this guy in a prominent position? He's yeah. he's one of them. But mm. for the purposes of I guess new viewers who came in, well, right. when Worf joined the cast, then yeah, I guess that makes sense. Yeah, and and to point that out. I think new viewers needed that. They needed specifically, and it's also a nice way to show how far our guys have come. Mm-hmm. Because Cisco was asking these questions in year one. Yeah. Why does Quark get away with Odo? What do you? Why do you keep Quark around? <laughs> I, look, this we've had this arrangement for a long time. It's fine. I know what I'm doing. I let him get away with his little crimes, and he gets and I he get shows to me the big bigger crimes. crimes. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. It's and and pl- plus my you know theory that they're just best friends, and he lets them do what he wants. <laughs> well, that's definitely a part of it too. Yeah. But. Don't no. you think word would get around after a while that um, maybe we shouldn't do business with Quark because uh, his best <laughs> he'll friend's sell a you cop. <laughs> yeah, <to> the <laughs> cop. Well, yeah, that's why they have the whole uh, the whole adversarial relationship. Right. Mm. They gotta, they gotta <laughs> Their entire the friendship is very confusing and has a lot of unspoken stuff. But that's why they had to open up the Gamma Quadrant for trade, right? So they'd have new people that <laughs> didn't yeah, know because, about it. <laughs> because those people have not yet heard the tales of Quark the Narc. <laughs> Um, addressed in the episode House of Narc. <laughs> <laughs> I oh, uh, this note isn't exactly about the episode. Uh, it's it's about Worf coming back. I still okay. We did we did Next Gen for seven seasons for two years of this show. Worf was a character from the pilot. I could not type Worf without first typing Word, and then backspacing <laughs> and typing Worf, and I still can't. <laughs> God damn it. You don't spell it with an H? W-H-A-R-F? No, I don't. No, my fingers say, oh, W-O-R, you must be, like, there's an autocorrect in my brain. Or an autocomplete. Autocomplete. That assumes, oh, you must be typing word. I'll just put a D here. That's not what I was typing. God damn it, brain. Worf. I'm I'm very familiar with the character. I've written his name a million times. That's what I'm saying. I I feel like I should have been broken of that by now, but it's still happening. Well, Well, the problem is you took all that time off. Yeah, it is. Yeah, that's it. Because Worf went away for a while. That's it. Yes. Oh, yeah. there, there's a there's a really nice scene where they refer to the fact that this Klingon stuff's still going on, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. I like. It has nothing to do with the actual like either plot, but it's just a nice way to continue the bigger plot. It's right. like, yeah, no, Klingon's still an issue. That hasn't gone away. They're invading Cardassian space and blah blah blah. Yeah. And there's a great bit, and Matt and I reacted exactly like word for word the same note. <laughs> well, that's very Galron. <laughs> Worf says, "Yeah, he he just decided to spin what happened and declare victory." Yeah, he declared victory and went home. I'm Mission like, accomplished. Yep, Galron. That is absolutely Galron. I won. He's he really is a politician above being a general. Like, yep. He's mm. he's an okay military leader, but he's really much better at spin and putting you know putting the right angle on things and, yeah. and that kind of thing. And he's the Kai Win of Kronos. Yes, very much so. Yeah. <laughs> There's two of them. Glory to you and your house, child. <laughs> oh, shut up. Now I want to do a Photoshop of uh, Louise Fletcher with those giant bug eyes. Bug eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god, I think I've seen the face of my nightmares. <laughs> Hello, Matt. Ah! Child. Ah! <laughs> uh, what, what else? Oh, uh, so at the end of the whole subplot thing, uh, Worf uh, comes in and he's like, uh, so Captain, you, you probably heard what happened. I, mm-hmm. I fucked up. I, I screwed up Odo's thing. So he's like, yeah, I heard. I, I like 
Yeah. This is this is Cisco's leadership style. He's like, no, Worf just fell on his ass. He learned his lesson. He won't yeah. do it again. I don't need to yell at him on top of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I I love the idea of Worf just waiting in his quarters for the inevitable call yeah. from Dad to t- to. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and to it never happens. Yeah. Why hasn't he grounded? Because I mean, yet? Picard would have given you the uh, "I'm not mad, I'm disappointed" lecture. By yes. Now. <laughs> and Cisco's like, well, he's he won't do it again. He's learned his lesson. Like he's that kind of dad. Well, and I, I love that his his philosophy is just like, yeah, DS Nine is not a starship. There's a lot of weird crap that goes on, yeah. and I can't tell you about it. You're just gonna need to pick it up. Well, and it's like I said, it's it, and it's I said this in the way of the warrior also. Mm-hmm. A lot of the stuff Worf's going through, and this might be intentional or might just be happy coincidence, is echoes the stuff that Cisco went through. We're seeing mm-hmm. him, yeah, as a as an upstanding Starfleet officer who served primarily on ships going through the same learning process. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting to see like, cause yeah, we, we got Worf to show us these guys have moved on in their attitudes. They kind of trust Quark now, or at least they understand where he's coming from. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Worf is, Worf is like day one Cisco where he's like, what, what the fuck? <laughs> jail. You go to jail. Yeah. And, and it's, again, it's a good contrast to Do Cisco. Not Pasco. Like, no, 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 no. Take it Pasco. It's okay. <laughs> Oh, God, they don't still have Monopoly in the future, do they? It's got to be better than that move-along-home game. Uh, I don't know if that's true. (laughs) A board game where you get to die and stop playing a board game? Sounds pretty great to me. Yeah, at least least eventually uh, move-along-home stops. That's true, too. There must be some elaborate Ferengi version of Monopoly, though. Oh, I'm Mm. sure. Oh, yeah. That's like ten times more complicated and, and, you know... I like the idea of someone showing... Someone showing them Monopoly, and they're like, "Oh, pfft, we give this to our kids." Yep. Yeah. That's that's how we school them. That's a yeah. baby's toy. <laughs> uh, anything else? Um. Oh, the guy who played the leader of the Jem'Hadar uh, uh, battalion was uh, the guy who played Tosk. Yeah. In, back in like episode two. Oh, that's why I liked him so much. Yeah, he was great, and apparently uh, Rene Abergenois, which mm. I still can't say. <laughs> Um, that guy uh, from Benson. Yeah, you know Odo, Odo's guy. Uh, he, the chef from The Little Mermaid. Right. That's so weird to me that that's your go-to for him. That's what I know him best from, other than this. Uh, Colonel West from Star Trek Six. <laughs> yeah, no, I sorry, I know this better. You know The Little Mermaid better than Star Trek Six. Yeah. You're mm-hmm. fired. I watched the little, I watched the Little Mermaid a lot when I was a little kid. I got my own show to, <laughs> to worry about. I got another show. I could, you could do both. Um, well, I am going to watch these once a week anyway, so why yeah, not? Fair enough. All you got to do is talk about them. Um, no, I, he, he directed this episode, and he apparently oh. specifically said, that guy who played Tosk is great, get him back. Yeah. I like that. I like that Star Trek kind of, when they find a guy they like, like we'll see this with Jeffrey Combs, where... Um, he, he played a Ferengi that was kind of an unremarkable character, and they'll bring him back and make that character better, and they'll bring him back as another guy. Like, mm-hmm. And then they, uh, they bring him back again for Enterprise, for like a big yeah, character to play an Andorian on Enterprise. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's nice that they, they do that. Yeah. Well, when you Star have, Trek takes care of its own. Yep. When you have an inch of uh, makeup on top of your face, then they can throw you into different roles really easily. <laughs> yeah, but he's got that voice. He's got a very distinctive voice. Yes. But uh, the, 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 another nice thing, though, is Jeffrey Combs in particular was a runner-up to play Riker originally. Oh, really? They do yeah, that, that would have been, that they, been weird. Yeah. I mean, we, we He probably, wouldn't have leaned as much. I think it's Riker. He was yeah, no, the, it, was, it was Riker. Yeah, it was Riker. Um, but uh, they, they've done that a few times, too, where their recurring guest stars are usually guys who are like, well, not usually, but sometimes guys who are like runners-up 
like that ran mm-hmm. to be the the main guys and didn't make it, but they really liked him, so they used him for something else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like that. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, anything else? Um, no, I think that's everything I wanted to touch on. Oh, I'm I missed one thing from the previous episode. If I could just say that yeah, real sure. quick, it was there was uh, I was looking at Memory Alpha and the, there was a fun fact. Illustrator John Eves based the design for Jake's house, like old Jake's Louisiana house, uh-huh. on the haunted mansion in Disneyland. <laughs> <laughs> Weird, interesting choice. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what they were like. What the what the logic there is? Yeah, I was trying to figure that out, but ninety nine haunted hot. <laughs> I don't actually, like, I don't think I've been to the Haunted Mansion. So. I have. I don't remember anything from it. Apparently. It was really cool. <laughs> anyway, I've completely derailed the episode. No, no, no. That's okay. we're, we're wrapping up anyway. I got my yeah. quote and then that's it. Um, my quote, there, there were actually some funny lines in here and I, I often go for the funny line, but I like this. This is, um, uh, Garmalgar. Yeah. Gornalgar. Talking about, um... Uh, the the idea of gods and the founders being their gods and mm. so forth. I have never seen a founder. Never. To us, they are almost a myth. But everyone in the Dominion, even the Vorta, serve the founders. I have fought against races that believe in mythical beings who guide their destinies and await them after death. They call them gods. The founders are like gods to the Jem'Hadar. But our gods never talk to us. And they don't wait for us after death. They only want us to fight for them and to die for them. I really like that. I like hmm. I like this show's take on religion in general. They they Star Trek is usually yeah. aliens. Well, usually, <laughs> but Star Trek is usually given religion a wide berth just because oh uh, we don't want to like it's a sci-fi show. We could that could that could get really offensive to people that we want to watch the show. Let's just steer well, clear of that. Except mm. for a preachy first season of TNG where they're saying, oh, we're beyond all that now. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing is, as as a guy who is not religious, like I like to know that about the characters, mm-hmm. that my way won. But yeah. on the other hand, <laughs> I, you know, I don't want atheists to be preachy either. That's what I don't like about religion. Yeah. <laughs> but no, in, in general, Star Trek has tried to steer clear of a lot of that. And DS9 has found a way to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And for him, and for this character to basically say, I envy cultures who have a relationship with their gods because I don't. Yeah, it's kind of cool. Yeah, like it's it's it kind of takes the side of of you know religious people, and and it was an interesting perspective. I like that. Mm. All right, uh, Bob, we are going to send you out of the room and and talk about things you haven't seen yet. Oh no! Be- before we do that. Uh, you did mention you have a, a regular podcast now. Tell the people about that. I do. It's called The Optical, and we're uh, going back through the issues of Cinefx Magazine, which is all about movies, special effects, and visual effects and stuff, and we're kind of using that as a framework to talk about visual effects and movies from the 80s and have people on and interview them, the people who worked on the movies, and uh, have some good discussions about it, so it's, it's yeah, pretty you've gotten, fun. Like, you, you, your first episode, you started talking to me and Matt because I think you were just sort of gearing up. Up and, yeah. and we were both happy to, to participate and it yes. turned out pretty well but now you're starting to talk to these like names that people have heard of and like, yeah. the, 
the actual like not just like the gaffer who happened to hand a cup of coffee to the <laughs> assistant director but like the, the the visual effects supervisor or something like guys who actually had a big hand in it it's, yeah it's pretty damn cool yeah we actually just had a couple of episodes about raiders of the lost ark and we had thane morris on who did a lot of the, like the physical pyrotechnic effects mm-hmm. um for you know like the the arc fire at the end mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff and so uh, cool. mark mangini who did uh, all of the uh, sound design for um well for a bunch of movies including the fifth element but he got uh, his start like one of his early film uh, roles was working on raiders of the lost ark and he Very actually cool. did uh, the uh, uh voiceover not voiceover like adr recording of uh leonard nimoy for star trek the motion picture too oh very nice (laughs) nice little tie-in always comes back to the motion picture with you (laughs) yeah we keep trying to put that behind us and forget about it i'm so sorry (laughs) (laughs) but anyway it's uh at opticalpodcast.com and uh we've got some good stuff coming up with season two very shortly very cool looking forward to that thanks Mm. All right. Uh, our info, as usual, postatomichorror.com is the website. We have a Tumblr, postatomichorror.tumblr.com, when we find cute little animated gift sets and such we like to share with you. Yep. Uh, if you want to write to us, we won't be answering mail until our next supplemental show at the end of Season 4, but you, you are more than welcome. It is postatomichorror at Gmail. Uh, oh, uh, this probably will not reach anyone relevant, but just in case... Uh, Matt and I do another show. Bob is also involved with it. Uh, it is called Sarcastic Voyage. It Yay. is a sketch comedy show, um, which I, I never mention on the show anyway. We mention it as a reference, and I always say, I sh- maybe you should tell them what that is. <laughs> uh, it, it is Sarcastic Voyage. We are just about to celebrate our five-year anniversary. We've, we've been around since uh, August of 2009. Yep. Uh, uh, our 180th episode. 180th. I can speak. Mm-hmm. I'm a broadcaster. <laughs> um and uh, to, to mark the occasion, we're doing a live show in Seattle. Uh, mm-hmm. If you if you were in Seattle or Seattle adjacent on August 2nd, uh, it's at the Pocket Theater. This is a new, really exciting new performance space. Uh, a friend of mine, Clayton Weller, just opened it up. It is, it is meant to help uh, uh, like up-and-coming performers put on shows without having to, to pay to do that. And it's an exciting new place, and we are really fortunate to be there to kick off uh, the, the, like the first weekend of shows. Uh, so check it out. Uh, uh, the podcast's website is sarcasticvoyage.com. There's, uh, if, if you're hearing this before the live show, there's information on how to get tickets there. Mm-hmm. And uh, if, if that sounds like something you'd be interested in, Matt and Bob and I will all be there. We would yep. love to see you. Yeah, you know, I'm super excited about being a part of it. And there's mm. some really good stuff that we're going to be showing off. So. Yeah. Yes, please come. Should be a good time. Yeah. All right, uh, so we're, we're going to end the show for the people who are following along. So, Bob, if, if you don't want to hear what I have to say, right. you might want to... I'm going to leave now. All right. <laughs> there he goes. There he goes. All right. Uh, the big thing I wanted to talk about was the the future that unfolds in, in Jake's sort of alternate mm-hmm. future. Specifically, um, the Dominion War never happened. No, apparently, like, it just seemed weird to me that we just stopped having a problem with the Dominion. Well, like I say, I think Starfleet not constantly antagonizing might have something to do with it. Or maybe they actually were um, put off by the Klingons being there. Mm. Maybe they legitimately thought, well, we better not fuck with those guys. Those guys don't, you know, don't take it. Yeah, it just seemed weird to me that, like, we've apparently, like, <clears throat> we've apparently completely been infiltrated by uh, the Dominion. But mm. then they're just like, eh, we're not that interested anymore. I think it would have been really hard to tell the story they told. Oh, I'm sure it would. 
And like have... all of that crap totally would ruin the uh, the whole uh, right. the important story that's actually happening. But right. you know, and also the thing is, I I am positive they had no idea that's where they were going. Mm. And uh, as as evidenced by the presence of Terry Farrell as Dax. Yep. In a year beyond three years from now. Yeah. It's like so. Uh, we're cool with trading uh, Cisco for Dax then. All right, fine. So uh, she's she's not a big quitter. No. Nope. Oh well, good. I like yeah. that reality. Let's yeah. stay there. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, I, I want to keep Ben, but you know. One thing, uh, oh, one thing I would like to mention. Uh, I think it's weird that uh, we're going to end the series with uh, with Cisco vanishing. Well, that's true. Like, and uh, no idea when or if he'll ever come back. Yeah, I I don't love that. We'll obviously talk about that when we get there, but that's yeah. a good point. Yeah, I wonder if they tie that back. I wonder if I like, I mean they must because we end we end the series with I forget if it's Jake or and Jake and Kira or Jake and Cassidy, but they're basically looking out the uh, no that I remember the same window right. when the when the series ends. So. Right, but I'm I'm wondering if the writers specifically call attention to the fact that Jake has been through this once. Actually, no, he hasn't. Never mind. No. This Jake has not. No. This is the first time he's had to deal with that, so never so mind. I don't know. I, that just seemed that just seemed very interesting to me. Yeah. No, that is cool. I, yeah. I, I hadn't thought of that. Um, yeah. I I don't. That is, I think like the one thing I didn't like about the finale, but we'll mm. you know we'll get there in a few. Yeah, years. of course. Or in in about a year. We're only about a year away from being done. We're shut up. Almost to the halfway point. Shut shut up. No. Um, I don't want to think about Voyager. Yeah. I didn't even think about. I was just, like, there's two separate things for me. DS9 being over and Voyager starting are two terrible things that happen simultaneously. Yeah. I was just thinking about losing DS9. This is the insult that's added to the injury. <laughs> Don't think of it as losing a DS9. Think of it as gaining a Voyager. Oh, God. That sound you hear is me slitting my wrists live on a podcast. No, I would I would go with shooting yourself. Maybe maybe uh, a hanging. Like th- Those things make better sounds. Definitely don't do pills. Pills don't make it like no. dying of pills makes no noise at all. Hang on, hang on. There, I used one of that. I used the poison Jake bottle. There you go. The poison Jake bottle. Yeah, you know, it's got a little skull crossbones on it, but the skull is Jake's face. <laughs> no, that just sounds like a title of like his his unpublished short story, The Poison Jake Bottle. <laughs> I thought there was something in Hippocratic Oath that, that tied to future stuff, and now I can't think of it. Oh, um, I know what it was. The 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 uh, catcher cell thing. Oh I yeah loved, yeah yeah. I I was at first surprised and then I realized oh right this is a splinter group of of Jem'Hadar. Yeah. They wouldn't do this. I love later on when we see them taking the white that they're doing they do this ritual mm-hmm. this this like allegiance oath every time like every time they take it which is like once a day or something. Yeah. They have to say like the the white is life the founders bring the white the founders are life you yeah, know something it, like that like. It, it's that uh, it's that religion thing that uh, right. that uh, Granigar's guys have sort of broken away from. Yeah, but it's cool that we get a look at what that is, mm-hmm. and I like that. I think uh, it's fascinating the way uh, the Dominion has sort of bred, you know, this army to be loyal to them by, uh, you know, they give them a physical addiction, but they also give them a mental addiction by basically raising the Jem'Hadar to think of them as gods, you know. Well, You've and got they... that sort of unwavering loyalty on two different fronts that way. But they do that to the like the Vorta as well. Oh, absolutely, they do. Like the Vorta aren't aren't physically hooked, but they are like they do think of. I think I love that aspect of the founders being a myth. Yeah, almost like they've been so reclusive and and their machine works so efficiently that they can just hang back and watch. Yeah, 
and the Vorta just handle all the day-to-day bullshit, and they just, like, I don't know, collect the money or whatever? I mean, that's the other thing about the Founders that fascinates me, is that they don't actually give a shit about the Gamma Quadrant. They don't want power, they want order. Yeah. It doesn't matter that they're in charge. It it matters that everything's running smoothly and no one's bothering them. Yeah, that's that's it. They go through huge hoops just to make sure no one comes to that one planet. Right, and that's that's their ideal situation is what they have set up right now. Mm-hmm. Is everything's running smoothly and we can just be over here. Yeah. Doing our thing, being our link. Yeah. Which is cool. And, and it's why Starfleet, if they would just quit going over there and poking shit... Mm-hmm maybe they just leave you alone. But yeah. Yeah, whatever. All right. Well, that's all I had. What about you? Yeah, me too. That's uh, that's pretty much everything I wanted to touch on. My big one was the uh, the stuff going to the last episode. Yeah, that is interesting. Mm. Uh, oh, and I, I don't know if I mentioned this in the episode proper, but I did like that the future uh, uniforms that they were wearing in the alternate future were the same as the ones that they used in uh, All Good Things. Oh, yeah, that was cool, too. Like our alternate futures. And I know that was just a cost-saving, well, we already had them thing. But, you know, it's still a cool idea. It is. It's a nice little nod. All right. That's all for this week. Next week, Amanda will be on, and I don't know what episodes, but I'm sure they'll be good ones because we're in the good part. Yeah. So look forward to that. All right. See you, folks. The Post-Atomic Horror Podcast is a co-production of Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Copyright 2014. Please don't sue us. We're just doing this for fun.